Hey folks, this is the Serving the Peace Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Hardy. Welcome to the program. Oh my gosh, have you guys seen all this hate with the Lord of the Rings series? Okay, look, all right, look, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here. A lot of people don't realize I'm kind of a closet nerd for Lord of the Rings, but I am. I am. So, I love the original movies. Uh, I remember watching the first movie. Um, You know how everyone has that weird uncle? Everybody has that weird uncle. I got a weird uncle, too. And I remember years ago on Easter, my weird uncle shows up with a bootleg copy of The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay? And that was the first time I ever seen it. Never even knew much about the books. Uh, I knew of them, but I was a kid, you know, so I never got around to that. So I watched The Fellowship of the Ring at my parents' house on Easter years ago when it was still in theaters. Um, and it was a bootleg copy of it. So basically, like, he had a friend that worked at the theater or something. I don't know, some weird thing. Because as we're watching this DVD, this little um, banner would come up on the bottom and say, if you're watching this in a private residence, th- call this number. This is a, you know, unauthorized whatever. I don't know. It was an unauthorized copy of this movie. Blah, blah. Anyway, something stupid. So um, I watched it, and I was held in so much suspense, I read the next two books. Because I, like, I got to know what happens. Because if you remember how that movie ends, it just kind of ends. Like, all this climactic stuff happened, and then the guys are all separating out, and then it just ends. And so, um, yeah, so I I read the next two books. Okay, then the Hobbit movies came out. Absolutely fantastic. Visually, they're fantastic. The right amount of action and sorrow and humor all combined in them. Just absolute masterpieces of filmography, in my opinion. Um, now this series comes out, Amazon comes out. So apparently Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, is a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. And so he did one of those things where he's like, I'm a billionaire, I want the rights to this, and I want to produce the series. It's supposed to be a prequel to a prequel, you know, 5,000 years before, all this stuff. And everyone's complaining that they went woke. Now, of course, if you point out that the original six movies were cast all white people, uh, everybody's white. Um, and then you notice that in the new prequels or whatever, they made it more diverse. Now, here's the thing. If you complain about the diversity in the new shows, you're just giving the left exactly what they want to hear, right? The left who will look at somebody on the right and say, that's a racist, that's a racist, that's a racist. And it doesn't matter how much you point out that, hey, according to original writings, according to X, Y, and Z, according to this and these findings, you know, the casting is a little off. Right? Like, it doesn't matter how much you point that out, you're always going to be called a racist. So stop doing that. Who cares? Okay? I don't care. Now, in the movie business, people make this mistake where they can't separate the actor from the character. Okay? Actors play a character, and the character is what matters. Okay? So we see this a lot where, like, in a movie or a franchise of some sort, they have to swap out an actor for whatever reason, and sometimes the movie just falls apart because they can't separate the character. Okay, um, a recent example of this would have been, um, uh, what was that, the uh, Fantastic Beast series, right? They got rid of Johnny Depp, like, halfway through. Okay, in the last guy, in the last movie, it was just a whole different character. He still played the same character, but it was a whole different actor, and it just kind of killed the whole mood of the whole thing, right? So it was just weird. It was just weird. So, um, and that movie, of course, did not do as well. But truth is, is we're supposed to separate the character from the whatever, so it doesn't matter, right? And again, if you complain about the diversity in the move in the show, um, you're just giving the left more fuel, right? You're just you're just proving them, in their minds, you're proving them right that that we're the racist ones. Okay, so stop doing that. Who cares? 
Okay, I don't care that there's a little more diversity. Okay, it, it doesn't matter to me. Okay, but moving on. Um, it was pointed out that the characters so far in the show have uh, basically the women are the awesome heroes, warriors, and the men are cowards. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, that's actually true, right? You have the main female character. She goes in the mountain. She goes in these caves, and she's surrounded by men that are supposed to be on this mission with her, and they just fall apart, right? This cave troll or whatever shows up, and they can't really fight it, and they're kind of running scared. They don't know what to do. She shows up. Boom. She takes it out with ease. Okay? Um, You know, you see little examples of this throughout the series so far, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, folks. It's only been two episodes. Relax. Relax. You have to give it the whole season. Okay, if you're really hating on it right now, just, just give it some time. Okay, you'll either really hate it by the end of the season, or it's going to save itself a little bit. Okay, the other thing that film, uh, filmmakers and people who are really into just the quality of filming we're talking about uh, wasn't CGI, but it was just the visual aspect of it. Peter Jackson did a fantastic job on making the movies visually compelling um, with the decor and all that kind of stuff. This show does not quite meet that standard. I still think they did a really good job. Doesn't quite mean it, but I hey, give it some more time. Give it some more time. But I really wish is I gotta get Josh on here just to talk about this because Josh, I think he's a Lord of the Rings fan, but I think he would have a lot more to say. And who knows, he might change my mind. But yeah, guys, it's too early to be hating on it. Um, give it some time. And I'm not saying your complaints aren't valid. I'm just saying that stop giving the left exactly what they want to hear because they are literally sucking this up and saying if you're complaining about the diversity, it's racism. You know, no matter how much you might say, look at it and say, hey, this is drifting away from the original writings of Tolkien, just, just stop. You're playing right into their hands. Remember, they, they do these things, they change these things so they can prove themselves right, okay? If they end up showing gay characters later in the series, which they likely will if it really did go woke, the moment you take the flow media and start complaining about all that, suddenly you're the bigot, right? Just either don't watch it right and let it just crash and fall because they did spend like half a billion dollars developing the series so i mean if you really want to see it fail because of the wokeness fine don't watch it don't give them your money unsubscribe to amazon prime right you could do that you have that choice or like i said enjoy what you can out of it and don't give the left more fuel for their fire right that's all you can do okay totally shifting gears have you guys heard the uh the story of kylie rodney this was a teenage girl in Truckee, California, here in Northern California. Truckee's not far from, um, it's not far from like Northern Lake Tahoe area, right? So um, she goes to the lake. She's at like a party. She left the party and she disappeared. And they're searching for her forever. And there's a wonderful organization, right? This is a, uh, let's see, volunteer dive team called Adventures with Purpose. Okay, this is a dive team organization. I think they're a nonprofit organization. They do like YouTube videos and stuff, but they go about trying to solving mysteries. And so what they did is they went, got involved in this case. They went to the lake because apparently she was at a party on, on the lake. And um, they went to the lake and started using sonar technology and they located a vehicle. They dive down and they find her vehicle and then they find her body in the back seat. Um, that apparently is a huge red flag there. Oh, it was in the back seat. Now, they released a video, and apparently there was one rear window that was about halfway down. Another one was kind of broken out. Um, and then she, her body was in the back seat, but she wasn't buckled up. And so the dive team immediately says it looks suspicious because she was in the back. 
um, a lot of people will say the same thing, right? It looks suspicious. It looks suspicious, blah, blah, blah. Let me, let me tell you guys something. First of all, you have to stop yourself from going to the worst case scenario. I can't tell you how many cases I've had where somebody committed suicide or somebody died of natural causes, and next thing you know, the phone of the police department is blowing up saying this was not a suicide, this was not natural causes because their cousin, sister's brother, twice removed, you know, and uncle, whatever, um, uh, uh, owed this guy money, and he was always complaining about it. Or this guy owed him $300 and stuff like that. And it was just stupid, right? It's just stupid, okay? Because people want to over-romanticize things, because people want to jump to the worst conclusions, people want the sexiest story out of something, so much, they always want to assume that the worst case scenario happened. Okay? Just because a body's in the back seat does not mean that this was suspicious in some way. Okay? She wasn't buckled up. Okay? That means her body, being submerged in 14 feet of water and 55 feet offshore, can guess what? Gases are going to blow it up inside of it. She's going to float. She's going to float to the top of that. She's going to drift around a little bit. As those gases get released, she's going to sink back down. She could have easily have sunk back down into the back seat or into the back area. Okay? She could have been floating in the back area, right? Especially if the nose of the car is going down a little bit deeper than the back of the car. Guess what? She's going to end up in the back seat if she's not buckled up. Okay? Windows being down, people panic. They freak out. They try and roll windows down. Maybe the windows were down when she even tried to leave. The window being broken, maybe she managed to break it out. Okay? Maybe there was something going on. Maybe it was suspicious. Maybe somebody threw a rock and broke her car. I don't know. Okay? But what I'm trying to caution you from, and I'm not saying that there wasn't anything suspicious involved, what I'm trying to caution you guys from is the fact that we can't jump to the worst conclusion. I believe she's already been medically examined. I believe the cause of death is drowning. Actually, no, scratch that. The cause of death hasn't been released yet. Okay, at this point, it remains unknown. Here's the thing about drowning cases. They do take time. <clears throat> um, yeah, you can open up somebody's lungs. You can find some fluid in there. But there actually is a test that you have to do, a lab test, and you have to look at something under a microscope and blah, blah, blah. So um, drowning does take time. So, But here's the thing. Here, here's the giant FU is to this organization. Now, again, this is a wonderful, fantastic organization, right? These are volunteers who go around and basically help close out cases you know, these, these divers with purpose, right? Is that what they call themselves? Um, adventures with purpose, right? These, this is a volunteer organization that kind of helps search and rescue efforts and stuff on their, on their own. So, but here's the thing. To release a video, it immediately put out there that it looks suspicious and allow that audio to go on the internet. You just effed up an entire investigation. Okay? You just created a nightmare for the police agency that's investigating this. Because when they release that cause of death and they say, oh, yeah, it was drowning or she was severely intoxicated and, and it looks like she was drowned, okay, guess what? Guess whose phones are going to be blowing up? It wasn't a drowning. I saw her. Le- no, it wasn't. It's going to be her family, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be lawsuits. going to be all sorts of stuff. Okay, let the police do their job. Let the medical examiner do his or her job. Let the coroner do their job. To come along and put that out there was messed up. Okay, you are not an investigator. You are not. A, thank you for finding her. Thank you for finding her vehicle. Okay, frankly, I'm disappointed that you guys found it before the police agency that's governing this, this whole thing found it. Because they should have been out there with their sonar equipment or asking a neighboring agency who has sonar equipment. Okay, 
But regardless, you should never be putting that kind of stuff out there. You don't come out there and say it's suspicious. When, when I go onto a crime scene and I'm looking at the situation, okay, I would never in front of the family or anybody else besides maybe another detective or another police officer say this looks suspicious. Never. Never say it in front of the family or anything. Ongoing investigation. Because we don't know yet. Okay? I've heard of cases where somebody was found in the trunk of their own car. Well, of course it looks suspicious. They don't lock themselves. Well, no, guess what? Paranoid schizophrenic. He put himself in there. Okay? So, no, you don't say this is suspicious. You don't put that stuff out on the internet. You just created a freaking nightmare for that police agency now because when they come out and say it wasn't suspicious or it was just a pure accident, crap happens. Okay? Oh, why did that broken window happen? I don't know. She drove down an embankment on rocks. The car got bounced around. Maybe it flexed enough and that back window popped out. Okay, maybe she broke it out before she drowned. Maybe she managed to get it broken but couldn't get herself out of the vehicle still because she was panicking and forget. Who knows? But to come out and draw that conclusion as if you're the professional detective, that's bullcrap. That is bullcrap. Hey folks, if you're like me, I get really sick and tired of spending five, seven, eight, twelve bucks every day at Starbucks or Dutch Brothers or one of these other coffee places. And then you turn around and hear about places like Starbucks and how they treat law enforcement and how cops are getting kicked out. Well, I got a new company for you, right? If, if you're at that point where you just want to make good quality coffee from home, I want you guys to check out my new friends, 1097 Coffee. This is a law enforcement and veteran owned local first responder theme business. Now, I want to pull this little expert from their website, 1097coffee.com, all spelled out, no, no numbers. 1097 Coffee was created in support of our first responders. This includes our military, police, fire, dispatchers, emergency medical services, and our motto is support to all. If you're looking for a company that supports causes you believe in, check out 1097coffee.com and order from their either medium, dark, or dark roast selections. That's 1097coffee.com, and you could also find them on Facebook or Instagram. All right. Uh, touching on a lesser known story, so I want to talk about something really quick. Um... There's a problem. This is, this is one of those issues where I think everyone can kind of acknowledge it's a problem, but nobody can agree on the solution. And I personally, I mean, for someone who, well, for people who know me and know I run my mouth and I seem to have an opinion about everything, I honestly don't know what to do with this one because I see both sides of it. Now, let me, let me tell you guys something. This, what I'm talking about is um, people who spend a significant time in prison, what do you do with them when they get out? Right, people who go to prison or, or jail for a significant time, right? People who have a criminal history that includes theft, burglary, uh, murder, attempted murder, um, serious forms of assault, you know, just these violent criminals, you know, and just for the sake of conversation, well, well let's include them for the sake of conversation, are rapists, murderers, that kind of people, right? Um, molesters and stuff. What do you do with these people when they've been prosecuted? been sentenced, spend a significant amount of time in prison, they get out, they get paroled, and they still somehow find themselves a burden on the state. 
Right. Now, some people, I know someone's listening to this and is like, well, why don't you just execute them in the first place? I get it. I get it. All right. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't shy away from capital punishment, right? I, I think there's a lot of crimes that merit execution. Okay. I think um, major drug traffickers and major drug dealers would probably fit in that category for me, right? Because these are the people that destroy whole neighborhoods and lives. So, but hold on. I mean, we can play the I wish game all you want. Right now, as society is, this is what's going on, right? You have a sex offender who spends a significant amount in prison. They get paroled out. You can't put them anywhere. Okay, I've seen whole hearings and whole community debates because the state wanted to rent a house for a, for a sex offender or, or they want to put them in a, or they want to set up a, um, a halfway house filled with several of them or something like that. And they're too close to a school or they're too close to this or too close to that or the neighbors don't want them in that neighborhood, whatever it is. What do you do with these people? Okay, what do you do with these parolees or these stuff? And then, like, let's, that's an extreme example. Let's take someone who, you know, uh, was a burglar, right? They had a drug problem, and they used to burglarize houses to steal stuff that they could sell to make the money for drugs, right? Or steal cash or whatever out of people's houses. Okay, what do you do with these people when they pay their debt to society? Because the problem is they're having a hard time getting employed, Right? And again, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't have an answer. Because if I was a business owner, I probably wouldn't want to hire the guy who has a, a history of violent crime or a history of theft and burglary. Right? Especially if I have a business that involves cash handling. Right? That's not the guy I want to necessarily bring in. Okay? But these people need to do something. Right? They just can't be idle in society because... A vast majority of people who offend will reoffend, and part of that problem is because they don't know what else to do. They don't got anything else, right? They don't have a, a, a direction they can go. Now, of course, we hear these great stories about guys who just got out and couldn't find a job, and they started their own business, right? Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, um, he had a very terrible past with drug use and everything else, and it, him, his business, his purpose, got him out of that and got him focused on something else, okay? So the reason why I'm bringing this up because there's a story about this couple in Ohio who started a uh, business, and a restaurant called Hot Chicken Takeover. Uh, it's basically a restaurant chain. I believe it's a um, fast food place. And basically it's fried chicken with special hot sauces and stuff they put over it and stuff and everything. They started in 2014, and they just opened up their seventh business. They're planning three more locations in, in, in Ohio. But this family... Uh, particularly hires about 40% of their employees out of 172 workers come out of the criminal justice system. They make it a point. In other words, they see the same problem that we all see, right? I'm acknowledging this is a problem. These people come out of the criminal justice system. We don't know what to do with them. We can't trust them to work in certain parts of society. We can't trust them to do other things. But if we let them stay idle, right? Remember, the, remember that phrase, right? The idle hands do the devil's work. If you let them stay idle, they're just going to go right back to reoffending. But if you could give them purpose, right? That's the theory. If you can give somebody purpose, now granted, that is theory. I don't subscribe to that utopian society theory where poor people commit crimes because they're poor, and if they just weren't poor, they won't commit crimes. All right, people with money still commit crimes. It doesn't matter. Okay? But sometimes if you can get somebody redirected with purpose, you can actually get them to rehabilitate. And that's the ultimate goal of the system, right? It's rehabilitation. It's not, hey, because if you don't do rehabilitation, if you don't have a rehabilitative effort in your criminal justice system, 
what you have is a timeout, right? Somebody commits a crime, they get prosecuted, they get sentenced, they go to jail or prison, and it's just a timeout. For all you parents out there, how many times have you put your kid on timeout and have it not be effective? Doesn't matter how long they sit on the stairs or sit in the corner. Sometimes for some kids, it's just not effective, right? If anything, they just sit there and they connive and they think about stuff and they conspire because they got nothing better to do but to sit there and plot their next thing they're going to do, right? So there's this problem in society where it's like, okay, well, we can't necessarily trust these people, but we got to do something with them, right? There's got to be something for them to do. Well, this company decided seeing that problem and saying, you know what? I know it's risky, but if that guy steals cash out of my register, well, he's just going to go back to jail, right? If somebody robs me, he's just going to go back to jail. If somebody's spitting in food or doing something that they shouldn't be doing, they're, they're just going to go back to jail, right? And they're going to help solve the problem. Give them purpose. Give them a job. Let them know that their criminal history, as long as they've, been, they've paid, their, paid their dues to society, right? Come on in. We'll pay you. Help us out. Help us cook. And, and here's the thing about restaurants. You think about fast food restaurants and stuff and think, well, these are skillless jobs. You learn some great skills. I mean, if these guys are frying up chicken and stuff like that, I mean, they're, they're learning about the restaurant life and how to deal with restaurants and how to deal with customer and that balance between customers and quality and service and efficiency in a kitchen and stuff like that and keeping, keeping clean workspaces and clean floors and making sure you don't have rollers and stuff on the floor that people can slip on or slippery surfaces and stuff like that. Mopping, putting up the signs, cleaning bathrooms, doing all this stuff, you know, cleaning out the parking lots, washing windows, making sure the restaurant's presentable because at the front of the restaurant where customers are coming in or seating is clean, they're going to assume that the back of the restaurant's clean as well. So making sure everything's up to date, right? If anyone's ever worked in the restaurant industry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a lot you can learn. I wouldn't be surprised that 40% of those 172 people, okay, some of them come out and end up starting their own restaurants. Some will come out with skills or at least respect for the working man. Some will come out and will say, wow, I was actually happier when I was working. Because that's what I learned years ago. I used to work construction back in the Obama days. Okay? And as you know, the economy sucked back then, right? Right towards the end of the Bush years and right in the beginning of the Obama year. Well, pretty much the whole Obama administration had sucked. But it sucked. It was up and down. Okay? I was unemployed. I was taking unemployment. And it sucked. I was depressed at home. My mind was getting foggy. I actually bought puzzle books just to make my mind exercise because I felt stupid all the time. Right? Like I couldn't think. Like I just had this general fog over my brain because I wasn't applying it to anything. It sucked. It absolutely sucked. I hated being unemployed. Okay? But that's when I finally decided to shift gears and I went up went to the police academy and everything else. But, um, but I'm telling you, I mean, if you really want people to rehabilitate, give them a taste of what it's like to not be a useless burden on society. Hey, man, you can get a job. With that job, you can pay rent. You can get your own little apartment over here. You don't have to take welfare. Okay? You, you want to buy this type of snack? Well, guess what? It's yours. Go buy it. You need a little bit more money? That's cool. Pick up a couple extra shifts. Right? I mean, this is Ohio. Now, granted, somebody in California is like, dude, you couldn't afford rent on, on that, on working at a restaurant. Well, in Ohio, you probably could. And there are welfare programs and stuff like that that can help you with, with rent assistance and everything else. And probably parole programs as well. 
Okay. But the point is, though, is they recognize the problem society. They're doing good, I think. Okay. And I, I kind of admire that. You know, would I recommend it for everybody? No. But maybe it's something worth doing. Maybe it's something worth considering. Is this person truly rehabilitated? Well, let's find out. Now, I wouldn't say that a sex offender or a rapist or something like that needs to be working around kids or anything like that or in a lot of different agencies or a lot of different um, types of uh, um, work, <clears throat> right? But, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of nonviolent offenders out there who could probably do well in society and probably rehabilitate just fine, Okay. Then there's violent offenders who can look back and say, look, what I did was wrong, and that's fine. They can be repentant. And then you have the sex offenders where I don't know what to do with them. Because, frankly, most of them probably should have been executed in the first place. But, again, this is the problem we're presented with in our life right now. Okay, California will literally spend millions of dollars a year putting these guys up in houses or neighborhoods and stuff like that where they don't want to be, right? Sending lawyers to fight the local, um, local governments and stuff who are trying to get these guys out of their neighborhoods. And these guys don't have to get jobs or anything. They can't find anything. Honestly, if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. They will literally take a violent sex offender who might have mental health places, or just somebody who's just a complete ward of the state, even as an adult or middle-aged man or whatever, and they will pay his rent and put him someplace as part of his parole because they can't do anything else with him. He can't be in the system anymore. He needs to be out in society now. But... Yeah. Right? It's just, it's, it's absolutely crazy. What do you do with these people? I don't know. Right? Like, I don't want them in my neighborhood, but they got to go to somebody's neighborhood. I don't want them at my job, but they got to go to somebody's job. They got to they gotta do something. I don't know. Start your own business, buddy. <laughs> Start your own business. Write a book. Make sure it has nothing to do with children. Right? I say that in jest, but really, I mean, these are real problems. DTP at USA.com. If you actually have a solution, if you think there's some sort of program the government could do or some sort of uh, nonprofit program or anything or, or some idea or inspiration for something, come up with it. Help out because, again, what do you do with these people? This guy's been in prison for 30 years. He has no skills, no education, no nothing. He went in for a rape he did. Okay? Yeah, sure. Like I said, we can always go back and say that maybe this guy should have just been executed, right? Some people talk about castration of some sort, so it's like, well, maybe he'll never do it again if he never has an urge. But, you know, that's pretty much a cruel and unusual punishment kind of uh, violation there. What do you do with these people? I don't know. I wish I had a solution. I'm going to think and pray about that one. Hey folks, I realized the gold commercial for this was getting, well, old. So I decided it was time to re-record it. Grandma'spantrypocadella.com. That's Grandma'spantrypocadella.com. One of our oldest sponsors. It's Brian and Kim, my good friends. Uh, for all your custom jams and jellies, I have a case of them in my pantry right now. Very unique flavors. If you have guests coming and you want to just wow them with something different than your typical strawberry and grape, Grandma'spantrypocadella.com for your custom jam and jelly needs. I need a voiceover. I need someone right here to come in and be like, You're listening to Disturbing the Peace Podcast. Wouldn't that be cool? You're listening to Disturbing the Peace with Brent Hardy. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know. I'll look into it.
Uh, okay, uh, another story that you probably haven't heard. So look at this. This is absolutely outrageous. So this, I'm going to take you guys to Wyoming, okay? Come on a journey with me to Wyoming, to the world of hunting and outdoor sports, okay? So Wyoming, Montana, I think Colorado, there's a lot of this going on. Um, you have landowners and you have public land. A lot of these landowners are big ranches, okay? And these are ranches with purpose, right? This is their business. Some of these guys are cattle ranchers. Some of them are farmers. Um, some of them are hunting clubs or sportsmen. Some of these guys are just multimillionaires, and these are just big ranch estates, right? I mean, who doesn't dream about winning, you know, $100 million in the lottery and buying a $20 million ranch in Colorado or Montana or, or Wyoming or something, right? I mean, that would just be the dream. Give me a thousand acres of prime hunting land where I can just go out my back porch, hop in my little gator or my side by side or whatever it is, and go out there and go smoke an elk or a deer. The other thing these states offer, uh, if you are a landowner, you can buy what they call landowner tags. These, these are basically guaranteed hunting tags for you as a landowner. All right, and depending on how much land you have and the local state regulations and laws, it depends on how many you can get. Many of these landowners take these tags and they sell them for a significant amount of money to hunting guides, right? So if I wanted to book a trip and say, hey, man, I really, I want to go get an elk this year, I can go find a hunting guide, okay? Depending on the guide, sometimes they'll take you on public land. They just know where to find them and stuff. And those guides are usually going to be a bit cheaper. Um, or you can go on private land and these guys have a deal worked out with the landowners. They pay what they call a trespass fee. So I would end up paying them a significant amount of money, usually between anywhere from, I would imagine, six to $20,000, depending on what it is I'm going after, okay? <clears throat> and the landowners get a cut of that. As a result, we've created this toxic environment between landowners and hunters because guys who hunt public land um, will often need to cross on the private land to maybe retrieve a game. But if you're a private landowner and you're making a significant chunk of change each year off people paying what they call the trespass fee or working out deals with uh, hunting guides, or maybe you yourself are a guide and you're the one making that $10,000 to let people come hunt in your land, okay? Um, you really don't want hunters doing that, right? They want you to pay money. And it's just dirty. It's just toxic environment. Now, look, at I'd love to own land. I'd love to get my own landowner tags, right? That'd be the dream. But if somebody shoots an elk and he hops the fence and dies on my property, yeah, man, come get your elk. Congratulations, right? Somebody shoots a deer and hops on the fence and, and dies. Hey, man, come get your buck. It's a beautiful buck, man. Let me help you get it out, right? I mean, that's just, that's the environment. Congratulations. I want to see other people succeed. I love the idea of somebody getting that dream buck or that dream elk or that dream antelope, right? I mean, that's awesome. In, in, the, in the world of hunting, that's a fantastic thing. I love to watch other people succeed. I really do, okay? So, Here's, here's my point, though. I'm going to take you guys to a story where um, corny, corner crossing occurred in Wyoming, and the ranch owner, the, the company that owns this ranch, the, the, the family business or whatever, is claiming up to $7 million in damages. Now, I was thinking about this. I'm like, how is corner crossing? Now, if you're trying to figure out what corner crossing is, it's exactly what it sounds like. Okay, it's when you have a square piece of land bumping up the three other square pieces of land, and somebody crosses one corner to the other corner. 
right? They go diagonal. So they go up to the corners where all four of these pieces of lands meet. And they say, well, I'm not trying to go to the guy to the west. I'm not trying to go to the guy to the north. I'm trying to go to the guy to the northwest, right? Like that's what you're trying to do. Or the guy to the northeast or whatever, right? You're trying to go to the diagonal property, right? It's called corner crossing. So what happened is, is you have public land on one corner, public land on the other corner, and there's private landowners in the middle. So in order to get to the other public land, you either have to drive around miles and miles and miles to somehow access this land, or in this area, everything's just kind of cookie-cutted out in the squares. These guys went to the corner, went to where all four fences or, or property lines were meeting, and they crossed over into the other, on, from public land onto public land. But of course, at one point, their bodies are hanging over the private land. This company is claiming up to $7 million in damages because what they're claiming is if hunters were allowed to cross over in that manner, it is, of course, damaging to their property values. Again, go back to what I was saying, a toxic environment between landowners and public land hunters. Absolutely toxic. Imagine you're just going up there, you drew a tag in Wyoming, you look at the maps, be like, this is my zone, look, I got public land here, and look, there's a public land there, and there's a corner crossing right there. I could just hop the fence. I never have to step foot. My foot never is going to touch the ground on anybody's property. I'm just going to go up over this fence post to that other side and hopefully go get my big elk or my deer or whatever it is I'm going after or antelope, right? That's all you're trying to do, right? Now, this is predatory in my opinion, right? This is just straight up. I have money and I hate these people and I'm going to sue them for having dared hang their tushy over my land for a brief moment when they're crossing a fence. Again, toxic. Because I was already thinking about this. I'm like, look, if I already have all this land that I'm using for cattle and elk come on there and deer come on there and I could do the hunting I want to do and blah, blah, blah. You know, and occasionally I got landowner tags and I got people buying tags off of me and stuff like that. Cool. You know what I would have done with that corner? I would have recut the fence where it's a diagonal where somebody was just wide enough where somebody could just drive it side by side right through. I'd have my little sign saying, you know, private property right here, right here. You may pass through. I'm granting you guys access to pass through just this corner. Right? Because again, I don't want a toxic environment because I understand the hunters. Now, granted, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't care about hunting, Brent. I don't care. Let me tell you something. If you care about the environment, you care about hunters. If you care about conservation efforts, you care about hunters. Because these government-funded conservation efforts and these environmental studies and these biological studies, when they tell you that the deer populations are doing good or the antelope populations are doing good, they have to spend money to get those numbers and figure that stuff out. And that money often will pay for helicopters, sometimes satellite imaging, sometimes it's paying biologists to go out into the field and actually count how many animals are seen within a square mile. Right? This is a very expensive effort to look at conservation. It's hunters who are paying for that. When a hunter buys a hunting license, he's paying for those efforts. When he buys a fishing license, he's paying for those efforts and the fish hatcheries and everything else. Okay, when a state spends millions of dollars trying to correct some environmental disaster, hunters are ones who are helping pay for all that. So if you take hunters out of the equation and you take those hunting licenses out of the equations and all that, you're literally causing a deficit of millions of dollars, tens of millions, of hundreds of millions of dollars throughout the entire nation to help pay for some of these efforts. Okay, that's why it's so important. Right? So if this landowner likes to see elk on his property and likes to be able to get landowner tags and likes to sell things, maybe he shouldn't be so toxic. 
Maybe he shouldn't be so predatory against guys just because they're butt hung over a fence for hung over his property for a little bit while they're crossing a fence. They're really, I mean, my gosh, I mean, it's like a me generation up there. It's all about me, 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 me. You want to hang your butt over my property while you're crossing over the fence? Cool, cool. Give me a trespass fee. Right? I mean, that's, that's the attitude they're going towards. But all he's doing is ruining it for everybody else. Right? I mean, it's public land. It's public land. They have a right to that land just like you do. They have a right to the other land just like you. And that's the other thing. He's probably just pissed off because if you own private land and it backs up to public land, that's just golden. Because it's land that you still have access to that you can use and pretty much do whatever you want with, almost anything you want, but you don't have to pay for it. Okay, I dream about owning a cabin, right? That's my goal, right? I, I hope that my next wife and I can just share this goal. We can work hard. We can save money. We can buy a cabin. And that cabin could be on a small little piece of land that backs up to either BLM land or a national forest or something where we can just go right out the back and go right into public land and go hunting and fishing, exploring, camping, whatever we want to do. That's my dream. So if a landowner has public land that backs up to him, he's probably thinking the same thing. He's like, oh, that's also my land because it's landlocked by private landowners, so only we can use it. And so, yeah, somebody jumping the fence is probably going to piss him off. But it's their right, too. It's their land, too. Okay, and somebody hopping your fence is not going to do any damages. Okay, you did not lose $7 million in value to your property because somebody might jump over a fence. Okay, and even if they did bust a barbed wire or bust a post or something like that, it's still not going to be $7 million in value. Okay, this is just his effort to go after somebody who did some personal slight towards them, and I'm surprised the lawyers are even running with this. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's a stupid story out of Wyoming. It's absolutely crazy that these people are thinking like this. And like I said, it's a toxic environment, but how do you change it? Because I guarantee for every landowner you have out there, he has some bad story about some bad experience with some public land hunter. And you talk to the public land hunters, we're like, hey, man, we're not millionaires. We live in the suburbs or I've traveled out here from a different state and I'm just trying to get my dream elk. I'm not coming out here every year, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's stupid. How do you fix it? How do you mediate that? I don't know. Again, kind of like the last segment. I don't have a solution for this, but going after him like this is not going to be the answer. Like I said, I think I would have just cut a little caddy corner right through the property, just wide enough for a side-by-side or a Jeep or something to go through and be like, hey, guys, I get it. It's public land. It's not my land. Okay? Just be respectful to, to my side of the fence. Okay? Have a good hunt. If something dies on my property, just come let me know. I don't know. But again, it would take one bad experience for me to change my whole attitude about that. That's it. I'm putting up a gate. Can't go through. Got to hover your butt over my property. <laughs> right? So I don't know. I, I hope I never get to that point in life where I'm so bitter and angry where I'm chasing after somebody and asking for millions of dollars in damages for something stupid and petty like that. All right, folks, I'm going to call it right there. DTP at USA.com. That's DTP at USA.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, David Tom Paul at USA.com. That's DTP at USA.com. Thank you. Bye.